Good morning. Well, I was with a friend last night and uh, mentioned that I was preaching this morning. He said, oh, what, uh, what are you preaching on? I said, uh, Legion. He said, you mean the demon? And he was, he thought, you know, it's kind of like, why would you choose that text? But the beautiful thing is we are going through the book of Mark as a church and we are looking at Jesus anew. And so we are just going straight through, and this text has really worked its way into my life this week and reminded me of some precious truths that I believe are for all of us this morning. I had a conversation right out there one day not long ago with uh, one of our congregation, and just asking him what kind of work he does and what his story was a little bit. And he started to speak in those kinds of ways you may have heard before, where he worked for a particular organization that would remain unnamed. And he did certain things that would remain undescribed, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think this is too uncommon, actually, uh, for us here. But I kind of, if you're like me, you kind of get this awe at people who are involved in national security interests. Uh, and maybe even people that work in that area, you know, the higher up the chain you go, all the way maybe to the director of national intelligence or whoever the, the people most in the know are, there's a kind of awe at those people that are most engaged in this important work of allowing us to continue to go about our lives whereby we don't have to face the foes that oppose us, which we would be powerless to do. Right? They have skills that we don't as ordinary citizens. And today, this text, to me, speaks to there's something higher going on. Jesus is at a totally different level, and he's fighting battles that are way beyond us. And we're going to see that in a powerful way. Jesus comes into confrontation with an army of demons, and the scene plays out on the power and authority chain way up in a place, in a realm that is much higher than us. But we also see that Jesus is so completely superior that there's really no contest. So when Jesus, as soon as he gets off the boat, in effect, the invasion is already won. It's a fait accompli. In fact, it's more than when Caesar went into Gaul. It's more than if Achilles had jumped off the boat. This is not a God coming into the region of the Gerasenes. This is God himself. And this is the fulfillment, moreover, of Isaiah's prophecy that Matthew wrote about in his gospel. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. This is what we're seeing unfolding before our very eyes as we also get to witness the events through the gospel writer. Now at this point in the text, Jesus has already overcome Satan in the wilderness. And so now the demons are really on the run. Their reign of terror is over. And what's about to unfold in our text is akin to when the Israelites chased after the Philistines when Goliath's head hit the dirt. So let's look at our text. I'll go through and make some observations. 
And then I want to talk about some implications for us this morning. So starting out, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. This was opposite the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum, where Jesus had done a lot of ministry, where it was primar- uh, Capernaum was primarily a Jewish area. This now is a predominantly Gentile area, but there was a mix of Jewish and Gentile peoples. But we can appreciate the uncleanness of this area in many things that we see from the text. James Edwards says, Jesus meets a man with an unclean spirit, living among unclean tombs, surrounded by people employed in unclean occupations, being the pig herders, all in unclean Gentile territory. So this is really Jesus invading the place of death, the place of uncleanness across the sea. And we see immediately, Jesus, when he steps out of the boat, immediately there meets him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Now, this is a really important part, I think, for us this morning. So I encourage you to to keep this in mind as we go through the text. This, This part of the text tells us no one could bind this man anymore. He was completely beyond human help. Not even with a chain. Multiple negatives here. No one had the strength to subdue him. Matthew, in his gospel, adds, no one could pass that way. This man was beyond help. There was nothing for him anymore. He lived among tombs. Luke records the man was often unclothed. He even says he had not lived in a house, but he lived among the tombs. This man is all but dead. Spiritual death, demons reign in his own person. He lives in a place of death. He has no connection to anyone else. He spends his nights wailing and crying out and cutting himself with stones. He's living a living death, a living hell. He is spiritually dead, living among the dead. And so there's a futility to man's efforts to overcome spiritual forces that are against us. There's a futility. On our own, we cannot. On our own strength, we are not strong enough to overcome. We cannot defeat our enemies. Let's keep that in mind this morning. Now, when he sees Jesus from afar, he runs and falls down before him. And what we see with this man is that the demons have really taken control of him. So there's this question, is this the man, the little bit of sanity that he might have, the little bit of control that he may still have over his body, coming and seeking help from Jesus? Or is this the demons recognizing that their time has come? and coming before Jesus and submitting to his power. I think maybe it's a mix of both. And he cries out with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. These are the demons speaking to Jesus. Which, I'll be honest, I find a bit rich. They've been tormenting this man, and now they're pleading not to be tormented. And this, this statement of who Jesus is is not, is not really a confession of his divinity. It's not, 
any kind of uh, positive sense of who Jesus is. This is actually a desperate attempt by the demons to command power over Jesus in some way. In ancient times, there was a belief that if you could name a spiritual power, you had power over it. So this is still outright defiance by these demons. Because Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And so Jesus asks him, what is your name? This to the demon. And he replies, my name is Legion, for we are many. And Legion begs Jesus earnestly not to send, him out of, send them out of the country. Now what's interesting too is that you may notice everyone else has faded into the background. The disciples are not mentioned. The man's name is never mentioned in this account. There's actually, Matthew mentions another man possessed by a demon, but Mark is focus, focusing on the one who had legion. And so this is, you know, on the battlefield, Everyone is circled up. This is David and Goliath. The two champions are coming together in this fight. And we're going to see what happens. But it's really Jesus and an army of demons. My name is Legion, for we are many. But really, there's no contest here. And it's almost laughable because immediately the demon is subdued. These demons have no possible way to resist the, the Son of God who is God. And so they beg that he not send them out of, the, out of the country. Luke says they beg that Jesus not send them into the abyss. And Matthew adds, have you come to torment us before the time? So they're trying to escape the judgment that will come to them. They know that Jesus is the one who will judge the world, the one who will judge all spiritual beings. And so they're concerned this is their time they're going to go into the abyss. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. So Legion begs Jesus, saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. A legion was typically 5,600 to 6,000 troops. We might uh, see here, this is, legion is meant to say many, so were there about 2,000 demons in this man because there were 2,000 pigs? It's possible. But I think it's interesting with this matter about the pigs, all three gospel writers that mention this account talk about these pigs. It's, it's interesting for us to remember demon possession is not presented in the New Testament as a severe psychological condition. It's not a mental illness. These are spiritual beings that have taken over a person that are speaking that have been cast out, that send pigs into the sea to drown. These are real, real spiritual forces opposed to the reign of God. But we also need to remember something has changed 
And we're seeing the results of that even in this very text. Christ has won the victory over Satan. He has bound the strong man that Scripture speaks of and is plundering his house. Christ is saving those who were captive to Satan's reign, including this very man. And so we should remember always, for those of us who believe in Christ, who are in Christ and have the Holy Spirit, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You have God with you. The demons will flee. So Jesus vanquishes this demon army with hardly lifting a hand. Psalm 89 says it like this, of God, you rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Jesus is God who rules over the waves and the sea. He rules over the spiritual forces. So the herdsmen flee, and they tell this account in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And when they come to Jesus... They see this man who had been demon-possessed, who no one could pass by that way. No one could bind him. They were completely at a loss of how to do anything related to this man. And they find him there. And Mark writes, the one who had had legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And probably for good reason. Something truly powerful is here. Something even greater in power than what we have seen. And as I looked at this part of the text, I started to, I started to think about another text that I believe this one foreshadows. And it's the text that comes with the resurrection of Jesus. Listen to some of the parallels there met a man, Jesus met a man out of the tomb. And obviously, the women go on the first day of the week to the tomb. When they come to Jesus to hear what has happened with this man who is demon-possessed, they find him sitting there clothed and in his right mind. When the women enter the tomb, they see a young man sitting, dressed in a white robe. When they came to the demoniac, they were afraid. When the women saw the man in the tomb, they were alarmed. In a moment, we'll see as Jesus is getting into the boat, the man who was possessed with demons begs him that, that he would go with them. The man in the tomb, as they're seeking Jesus, tells them, he's not here. See the place where they laid him. In both cases, they are told to go and tell what Jesus has done. The man who had the demon is told to go and tell what Jesus has done for him. The women who come and see Jesus are told to go and tell his disciples. There's a foreshadowing here. Jesus is going into the realm of death. He is bringing people out of that realm into the domain of light into his kingdom, into life eternal. Jesus is doing something. He's crossing the boundary of death. In fact, he's eliminating it for those who are in him. So this very text foreshadows that event that is to come.
So, as Jesus is getting into the boat, the man who's possessed asks him to be with him. But Jesus does not permit him. He says instead, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So this man wants to be with Jesus, and rightly so, but apparently, apparently, there are people living in houses, fully clothed, that need Jesus just as much as the man who was among the tombs without clothes. Apparently, there are people who were in their right mind, supposedly, who were living their lives, who needed Jesus just as much as the man who was obviously desperate, obviously beyond any recourse that he could have. And I wonder today, are we lulled into thinking at times because we're able to put on a good face, because we seem to have it all together, because we seem to be doing fine, because we have things mostly in order, are we lulled into thinking that we don't need Jesus as much? Have we forgotten how desperate we actually are for a Savior who can overcome our enemies? So Jesus doesn't permit him. He says, no, go and tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you. And it's striking. Jesus is, says, the Lord which would point to the Father, which would point to Yahweh, the man goes and tells what Jesus has done. He got it right. He got it right. He could see this Jesus is God. And he doesn't just go to his friends. He goes to ten cities. He becomes a missionary in the Gentile area. He goes all over. And he must have told a pretty good tale because people marveled. He had a good story to tell, the story about what the Son of God had done for his life. So I want to think about some implications for us this morning. First thing, Jesus saves, and he's the only one who saves. He is the only conqueror. In Revelation 5, there's this striking picture. John sees the throne of God in heaven. And an angel brings forward a scroll written on front and back with seven seals. And some people think it's like the scroll of history. Who has command over history? Who has power? Who is writing history? Who can open the scroll and break its seals? And a search is made through all the earth and through all of history and none was found. No one was found, and so John begins to weep. And one of the elders says, weep no more. For behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered and is found worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. And he turns and he looks and he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the middle of the throne. Jesus is the only one who can save Jesus is the only one to whom God says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 1 Corinthians 15, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, Christ alone, but each in his order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when God delivers the kingdom, when Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus alone, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And Jesus alone can conquer sin in our lives. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So I think today, and as I've pondered this text this week, I've been reminded of my need for a Savior, of my need for the conquering hero, the the mighty one, the one who when he gets out of the boat, there is no contest. Before he came, it was futile. And so I want to speak to those who are desperate today, who may be despairing and saying, everything I try fails. It's futile. I can't beat this sin. I can't overcome this challenge in my life. And I also want to speak to those of us who might say, I think I'm good. I think I can take it from here. I think Christ has done something in me, but I'll go it from here. I've got what I need. Henry David Thoreau said famously, most people live lives of quiet desperation. I think at some level, we know that it's it's futile on our own strength. In fact, we are helpless against our enemies. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Only in Christ can we conquer. Only in him do we have hope against the world and its pressures and its temptations. What about Satan? Is he still at work? I've been listening to a podcast, not always a good idea, and the one I was listening to was recounting the history of Eastern Europe after World War II. Why I listened to that, I don't know. And he gets to the climax of his story, and he talks about the Petescu prison in Romania. And the Soviet party in Romania did an unbelievable, horrifying experiment primarily on young Christian men, which they called unmasking. The goal for them was to completely undo a person's personality, beliefs, ties to family, ties to anything that they valued, and to make them into complete servants of the state. And so as he tells this horrible tale 
of what people did in that place. I honestly, at times when I would ponder that, would despair and think, God, does Christ conquer? Does faith get us through? Is there something greater? Is there something stronger? And just this week, I came across an article There were some survivors from that prison, two of whom were interviewed, who are now priests, and they talked about forgiveness, and they talked about overcoming their suffering, and they talked about overcoming the trauma that they had experienced in that place. And that prison is going to be torn down and a church built in its place. And I marveled, like those who saw the demoniac. In our day and time, as we see in our society this rampant ideology, this expressive individualism that that rejects a person's created form, that rejects God's purpose and intention for us and instead encourages us and urges us to find authentic selfhood in our own preferences and desires and interests without reference to any outside source or objective truth, which is a demonic distortion seeking to cut us off from the source of life. We who are meant to be imagers of God now urge to become images of ourselves. I think, yes, Satan is still at work. And so how do we overcome These forces that are against us, it's only with Jesus. And then we come to sin. And I want to suggest this morning, if we were capable of behavior modifying, self-actualizing, changing our habits, becoming enlightened, getting over and past our sin, if we were capable of that, why would Jesus need to die on the cross? Why wouldn't the Old Testament law and the sacrificial system be enough? And so I want to ask the question this morning, are you fighting your sin on your own strength? Are you trying again and again and again on your own willpower to overcome sin in your life? Someone has said, I don't know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I know what the heart of a good man is like, and it is terrible. Kent Hughes said, we must not foolishly think that human beings must be demonized to descend to the degradation of the garrison demoniac. Sin is endemic to the human situation. Each person is tempted by his own desire. As James says, and so this morning, I want to urge you to understand that sin in our lives is a desperate situation that has only one who can overcome it. We cannot overcome the sin in our lives. We are as desperate and needy as the demoniac that met Jesus. 
We are incapable of vanquishing our sin. And so today, today, I pray for you and for me that today would be the day we would deal with our sin with Jesus Christ, that we would leave off trying to do better. And we would say with David, create in me a clean heart, O God. That we would agree with Ezekiel who said, for the Lord, the Lord said through Ezekiel, I will put a new heart within them. We need a new heart. It comes only from Jesus Christ. Only our champion can win this battle for us. And I want to encourage you, today is the day. And today may also be the day to talk to someone, to share our faith with others. There's an urgency in this text. Go and tell your friends. Go and tell what the Lord has done for you. Our friends from uh, that we had dinner with recently, he was telling me about a conversation he needed to have with his father who has cancer. For two years, he delayed. Finally, boldly, he steps into that conversation. Is there a conversation you need to have with those in your life? Are there those you need to tell? The light has dawned. Jesus is on the throne. The enemies of God are on the run. The victory is won. Freedom is at hand. Satan is vanquished. Our sin no longer has power over us, but we must fight in Jesus Christ. There's no other way. It is the only way. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus, I thank you that you came to conquer, and conquer you did. Lord, apart from you, our efforts are futile. Help us, O oh God, to see rightly our situation that is as desperate as the demoniac against sin, against the world, against the devil. Lord, our efforts are futile, but you have conquered, and in you we are conquerors. Lord, I pray today would be the day that we would lay bare the secret things, Lord, that we wouldn't seek to do it on our own, to overcome sin that continues to hold sway over us, but we would look to you, O oh Lord, that we would ask you to put within us a new heart, a clean heart. God, that we would seek your strength, your power, that we wouldn't rely on ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for this word that you have given us of Jesus, our conquering hero. It's in him we live and move and have our being. It's in him we have our hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor.